the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, some really good marital advice from Chip and Joanna Gaines. And then we're joined by Mike Cosper, producer and host of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, as we ask him, why does the story of Mars Hill Church matter to all churches today? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this hump day, this Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. All right, Aubrey, let me start here. Were, were you or are you a fan of all things Chip and Joanna Gaines? Uh, what was their name of their show? Fixer Upper? Sure. Uh, yeah, of course. I, you know, I don't like follow them constantly, but of course I liked Fixer Upper and they're a cute couple and it's fun to, you know, sometimes I read her magazine. So yeah, they're great. Uh, so here, this is a, a bit of a sexist comment, but are you allowed to be a woman in America and not like Chip and Joanna Gaines? Is that uh, is or, that allowed? I think you could make that even a little more niche. Like, are you allowed to be a Christian woman in America and not like <laughs> Chip and Joanna Gaines? No, I think the answer is you have to like them. You must it's, like them. Period. It's <laughs> Jesus, church, or family, Chip and Joanna Gaines. That's the list. The, the fourth and fifth members right. of the Trinity. Other, uh, <laughs> That's other, terrible. <laughs> other religions, they they travel to like Mecca and stuff. Christians are going to Magnolia. Waco. Everyone's Waco. going to Waco. <laughs> yep, that's right. Magnolia Farm right. in Waco. We're just going to start with some heresy this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> that's how we so roll here at the Common us. Good. <laughs> so here's why I'm asking you about Chip and Joanna Gaines. They actually okay. did an interview the other day that I found really interesting. Uh, it was actually in an interview on Access Hollywood, which I think is is, is so it wasn't like a Christian organization. Access, access. There you go. See, I told you we're going to get peak Aubrey today. <laughs> Access Hollywood. And uh, the, the host was asking them about their marriage. They've now been married for 18 years. And uh, in the interview, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they shared that they've had trials and errors in their relationships, in their relationship, but said that, quote, never for a moment was divorce an option. Never for a moment did they say, did they think they might throw in the towel? As I said, they've been married 18 years. They have five children. Listen to what Chip Gaines says here. He says, the one thing that I would say is our superpower uh, is that Joanne and I are not quitters. Throwing in the towel is not something that honestly ever even comes to mind. I would say that that happened pretty early in our relationship where we just thought that divorce or leaving one another is not really an option for us. And so he goes on to talk about how that's kind of that perspective has kind of informed and uh, been their marriage mantra. Like I will not throw in the towel. Aubrey, I thought we would just start talking about marriage because, you know, you and I have both been uh, married separately. Sometimes if I say that incorrectly, it sounds like we're not to to each other. Definitely not to each other. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Let's be real clear about that, everybody. (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, I have been married for 21 years. Are you at 21 or still at 20? We're at 20. We celebrated our 20th in January, which, right. by so, the way, I know this is what we're talking about, but nothing makes me feel older than when finding out that Chip and Joanna Gaines, I've been married longer than them. Like, I'm like, what? How is that possible? Oh, I'm so like, old. Like, I know that you and Kevin and Carrie and I both got married pretty young. Really right? young. And so yeah. that does change things. Yeah. But every now and then somebody will post on Facebook or like a neighbor or a friend where I'm like, yeah, we're the same age. And they're like, I can't believe we've been married eight years. Eight years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My, but uh, my, let's get to the heart of the conversation. Which yeah. Is, I just want to talk a I little bit it. about marriage. So this idea of. Uh, you know what? We just went into it and realized, you know, as long as divorce is on the table, as long as throwing in the towel is on the table, uh, then that's an unhealthy thing mm-hmm. for us. So what do you think about his marriage advice here? And maybe how have you and Kevin, what are some of the keys that have allowed you and Kevin to make it for 20 yeah. uh, going on 21 years? I mean, now? we actually had a lot of, and this may be true in your family too. Like, thankfully we came from generations of people who had been married for 30, 40, 50 years. And they all spoke into our marriage this exact thing. Divorce is never an yeah. option. Do not even let it enter your mind. You get, you don't get over it. You get through it. Like we just had before, even on our wedding day, this, like the, our parents, our grandparents saying divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option. Mm. Divorce is not an option. And I, I mean, you know, no one really goes into marriage thinking you're going to get divorced, but once you've been married for a long time, you can see how easily, um, you could turn to divorce as an option, right? Because you fight, because you're humans, because bitterness gets in the way. And at the end of the day, um, you know, sometimes there are biblical reasons for divorce. That is just true. So that's okay. But, but at the end of the day, it can't be the thing you go to, to solve your problems. Like you have to work through your marriage. And so I would say that mindset helps Kevin and I, and then we've talked about this before. We are big fans of marriage counseling. And if you are stuck It is so good to get somebody else to help you, a therapist to help you talk through like how to have conflict, how to pour into your marriage, how to get the tools you need to really um, enjoy a friendship with your spouse. What about you and Carrie? Well, let me quickly ask you, and then I will answer that for yeah. us. Do you do you guys go to marriage counseling on occasion, even when things are pretty good, like when things are, are just kind of, hey, we're in a rough spot now. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go see a counselor. Yeah, great question. So we have gone for we have gone when ooh, this is really rough. Like especially when I got really sick in 2015, and it just like right. rocked our marriage. We were like, we need to go to counseling, or we actually might not make it through this. And that's how serious it felt for us. So we went through a, a kind of intense season of therapy, and now we just. We know kind of what our issues are and we're like, oh, you know what? This will be better to talk through with her name's Karen. This will be better to talk through with Karen. Let's give her a call. And so it's not even necessarily that it's intense, but we want to have the conflict in a way that honors each other. And we know sometimes like we can't do that in our weakness. So we call up Karen. She helps us walk through things and then we're okay. So we sort of do both, I guess. Okay. What about you and Carrie? Have you guys ever been in marriage counseling? Uh, we have the first time I remember we went to marriage counseling was when our first child was like nine months old and we mm. were like, I don't know how we're ever going to survive. Yeah, this. Yes. Yes. That's uh, real. We went and right saw there. A counselor. But there have been other times, like you said, where things just seem out of whack. They just mm-hmm. seem off. And, mm-hmm. and like, I think that's a really helpful thing to remind people because a lot of times Christians can go, Oh, you know, 
You only go to marriage counseling. Uh, if you're like good, falling apart or whatever. Yeah. Right. Or that good Christians don't need counseling. Right. <laughs> right. You go to the great s- counselor. There you go. The wonderful counselor. Yeah. I would also say that an important element, I know you have talked about this with you and your husband and for Carrie and I as well, is if we go too long and I can't remember the last time just her and I had fun together, mm-hmm. uh, that's a bad sign. We yeah. are never in, I, let's put it this way, in 21 years of marriage, I've never gotten, you know what? We haven't connected in two months, but we're doing great. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so true. That is really important to be gauging sort of your intimacy Hanging out, fun, laughter, and remember like, oh, we should pour into each other in let's That's right. even if it's just like, let's go to dinner. Like, let's just do something fun and remember that we like each other. That's more important than I think people realize. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to start there. I know we have lots of people married out there listening. You some of you've been married for a year, other than others of you 50 years. Uh, this idea that uh, of happily ever after is just not true. And so marriage takes work. And so mm-hmm. I, I thought this was a good Chip and Joanna Gaines. You see them on TV and they're always laughing and always yeah. happy and yeah. this and that. But to be reminded that, you know what, to make your marriage work takes work. And so uh wanted to start there. Well, coming up next, Aubrey, an interview you and I have been real excited for a while here to do. Mike Cosper, yes. he's the director of podcasting for Christianity Today and the host of the wildly popular new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mike Cosper is going to join us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined. If you've been around this show over the last couple of weeks, you know uh, Aubrey and I have talked a lot about the new podcast out from Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, that we are both just fascinated by this podcast. And so we are thrilled to be joined uh, by the director of podcasting for Christianity Today, also the producer and the voice of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. That's Mike Cosper. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. Hey, before we jump into this podcast, uh, let me ask you to go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience just so they can get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I, I served as a pastor for about 15 years, helped plan a church. Uh, we launched in the year 2000, came on staff about a year afterwards. Um, I was primarily over sort of worship and arts, but, mm. you know, in church planting, you, you know, one of the old sayings is like, you got to cook till the cook shows up. <laughs> yep. Um, so, so I wore a lot of hats over the years and, you know, did everything from running community groups to leading capital campaigns. I mean, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild journey. Um, but yeah, I uh, did that for quite a few years and stepped away from uh, local church ministry in 2015. Um, spent a spent a few years working in in the media space, helping nonprofits kind of tell their stories, and then uh, about a year year and a half ago, joined the staff at Christianity Today to to help sort of expand and and deepen their investment in podcasting. Mike, uh, Brian, and I are both. Uh, church planters. So we hear you when you say you cook until the cooks come. <laughs> yes, that is accurate. Um, so Mike, obviously we want to talk to you about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the podcast itself, but I'm curious what got you even interested in, uh, you know, finding out more about Mars Hill? What got you interested in doing this as a podcast? Yeah. So our church, you know, we didn't plant with, so, so Acts 29 is the church planting network that Mars Hill was uh, sort of part of launching. And um, we, we didn't launch with 
with Acts 29, but we joined up with them in about 2003. And so just through our work with, with Acts 29, I did a lot of like training with worship and, and working with worship leaders. And so one thing led to another in that season. And I got to know quite a few of the guys at Mars Hill. Mm. Um, and, you know, for me, I mean, Mark was a, a massive influence in, yeah. in, in my life. He, he kind of came to the fore just as I was, you know, uh, hitting my early twenties and figuring out what does it mean to be a husband and a pastor and all of this. And so it was just this very formative experience. And, um, you know, as things, as things went south there, um, we experienced some similar things in our ministry, uh, at our church, which led to me feeling like it was time to, to sort of move on. And then eventually, uh, uh you know, the lead pastor at our church had to, had to resign under similar mm. kind of circumstances. And mm. so, um, you know, and then in the years that followed, I mean, we could sit here and run through the litany of names, um, yeah. that, that have sort of similar, uh, story arcs and consequences. And so it, it just kept coming up and, you know, we kept kind of asking, okay, like you can, you can point to any one of these stories and say, well, this is why that guy, you know, had to step away or was yeah. fired. Um, but then you start to sort of look at, well, what's the pattern? Like what's the phenomenon that kind of ties all of these together. And that as much as anything else is what, what got me curious. And um, I think Mars Hill is a particularly interesting story because of just how dramatic the whole thing was, yeah. including yeah. the fact that the church closed its doors. Yeah. yeah, that's so fascinating that how quickly again, this feels a little inside baseball. So I want to expand it for people who may not know the Mars Hill story. And obviously we want them to go listen to the podcast. But why is Mars Hill the one that you chose? Why is it such a fascinating story, as you just said? Yeah, so Mark was really, you know, he pioneered all kinds of, you know, innovations in the church that now we we think of as normal. He um, he planted the church in 1996. He planted, you know, very much in a subculture in Seattle, um, trying to reach sort of young creatives, young, you know, up and coming creatives in the city. And, um, you know, he's one of the first guys that had, you know, whose church had a website, one of the first people whose, you know, MP3s were available for to download. And so wow. even while big churches were kind of getting up to speed on that stuff, he had, you know, he had a lot of this, he had a lot of content out there and available. Um, and then, you know, kind of personal style, he sort of, you know, you can look at what happened in the nineties with the secret churches and see how things got much, much more casual. Um, Mark kind of, again, sort of took that to a, another level, uh, attaching to again, a, a subculture. And, um, and so, you know, the one, one of the ways I say it on the podcast is like these days, it's not uncommon to see sort of the young, cool pastor with kind of a personal brand and look and all of that. Uh, Mark, in many ways, was was one of the pioneers of that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then the church itself. I mean the the arc of the arc of the church's story is that you know they start with a dozen or so people, and um, you know at its peak it had somewhere the, the numbers are always fuzzy. I mean churches are that way, right? But <laughs> somewhere between thirteen thousand and fifteen thousand people were gathering on Sundays wow. at this church wow. at its peak. Um, and then, you know, like I said, they, Mark resigned, um, after he was sort of being investigated by his elders and he resigned in mid October, 2014 and, uh, January 1st, 2015, the, the church no longer existed. So, wow. you know, it's just this very outsized example. And Mark himself is just a fascinating, you know, character. He's an incredible communicator and mm -hmm. just so compelling to listen to. And, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's it's a mix of extraordinary 
drama and characters and um and i think it hopefully becomes kind of an invitation to pay attention to these deeper questions and issues mike um this is maybe a personal question for you. I know you're the author of a book called Recapturing the Wonder, Transcendent Faith in a Disenchanted World. I can imagine that doing this kind of podcast could tempt you towards disenchantment <laughs> and uh, some emotions, right? Some bitterness and frustration, some just disappointment in life. How, like, how's your, and I'm not asking the question, how's your heart? I guess I'm asking, like, how are you staying the course and not giving into disenchantment as you're uncovering all of this stuff that's so heavy? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I mean, you know, like I said before, you know, we, we kind of, you know, my, my church and my family, like we kind of experienced this on a local level for us too. Yeah. And one of the things we found is that in, in being able to tell our story, um, whether it was with friends or with, you know, counselors or, you know, other sort of leaders or whatever, um, the, the process of telling that story was a very healing thing for us. Um, so in some ways, you know, doing this is, is kind of entering into that process again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't say that like, this is not an overwhelming experience too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, your hope in the midst of this is that for the church's sake, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant and that, mm. um, you know, I think the, the church should always be about, examination and repentance and bringing these things to light so that we can have honest conversations about them if we want to be a better and more beautiful church. That's a great point. Mike Cosper is director of podcasting for Christianity Today. He's the host of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. What do you think it says about the church in general, evangelicalism as a whole, that Mark Driscoll uh, imploded at Mars Hill and now has another big church in Arizona without a real restoration process and just seems to have picked up. What does that tell you, not so much about Mark, but about the church, uh, Big C Church in general? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple ways to look at it. One is we love redemption stories, right? Like as a public, we love redemption stories. And so I think again, one of Mark's skills is, is kind of communication. And, um, you know, there's, there's an interesting dynamic with the Mars Hill story in that as, as things came to an end at the church, a lot of people who were internal to the church, a lot of people who drove the kind of process that led to him being held accountable, didn't do a lot of press. They didn't, they didn't tell a lot of their stories. Hmm. And so what you had is people who were kind of driving the criticism of Mark, long before he resigned were the people sort of during and and then in the aftermath who continued to kind of provide coverage and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I, w- I wouldn't say there was a vacuum of people who were saying, Hey, this, this didn't end well, and there hasn't been accountability here. Um, but, you know, as, as people have said on the podcast and and you'll hear more about it as the show goes on. I mean, I think for a number of folks that were close to it at Mars Hill, there's a bit of regret that they didn't communicate more and they didn't Mm. say more. And so because of that, I think if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, if you didn't follow it closely, if you didn't read the blogs and the social media and all that, and I think, you know, a lot of sort of real people aren't on Twitter, right? Right. Um, uh, You know, it's what they, what they see and what they hear is a story from Mark about, you know, his, his version of the story is, you know, there's, there was a long, a long leadership conflict that went on for quite a few years. And, 
you know, at the end of it, he decided it was time to resign and step away. Um, so, you know, with all that said, I, I think, um, I think that's, I think that's why it was easy for people to step in and, uh, say, well, you know, we, we want to see this guy restored and, and man, you show up and listen to a sermon and, you know, he's a, like I said, he's just a very compelling guy and he's, he's, you know, for the most part, from what I've seen, you know, um, his message has shifted in, in some ways, but he really does sort of drive people to Jesus in his preaching. And it's yeah. one of the complicated things about this story. Yeah. Yeah. That is certainly one of the complicated things about the story. Has anything surprised you just in your research or in your interviews? Yeah. I, I would say the first thing that surprised me when I, when I really got into the story, um, and again, this is in the first episode, but was hearing from, from the folks that were in the room where it happened, um, that they didn't want Mark to resign. They, they mm. wanted to see a restoration process. And the degree to that was like <clears throat> the degree to which that was a universal feeling from inside the church was very, very surprising to me. Mm. Um, Cause I, you know, I had the feeling from looking at it from the outside that there was just an army of people who were out for blood and, yeah. and there were, I mean, there, there certainly were people who, who wanted, you know, wanted him out. But um, I think that was a, I think that was probably the biggest thing that surprised me early on. And then there, there's a few other details that, you know, I'll, I'll say, stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Mike, I wonder, and we asked you this off air, but I wonder, have you had any contact with actually with Mark Driscoll and uh, any feedback from him? Or is that probably way too big of an ask right now thinking he might come on? You know, we've reached, we've reached out a number of times. Um, and, you know, I'll continue to reach out as the series goes along. But, you know, there's been at this point, he's he's not responded to our requests. And, um, you know, we'll we'll see. I'd, I'd love to talk to him. Um, I've, yeah. I've met Mark a number of times over the years. And um, in my personal interactions with him, he's always been very kind to me. He was very kind about my ministry when when we talked about that at one point. And he was very kind to my family when he met my my wife and my oldest daughter at one point. And so, you know interpersonally I I've only had great experiences with him. So I, I would love to sit and talk with him. I'd mm-hmm. love to hear, I'd love to give him a chance to, to, to tell his version of the story, but to tell it while answering some hard questions, which yeah. I'm not sure he's ever put himself in a position to do. Right. Yeah. Um, Mike, we obviously love the podcast and everything I'm seeing online. Everyone loves it and is just like waiting for the next episode to drop. But are you getting any pushback from like naysayers at all? A little bit. You know, I think there are um, there's a general response, I think. And this is true across kind of all of CT's ministry at times that, you know, when we tell stories about bad things that have happened inside Christendom. Um, you know, there are Christians that show up and say, well, you're making the church look bad. Like, why would you, mm-hmm. why would you do that? Um, and so there, there's been some of that attitude. I think there's been some attitude, uh, again, of people who've sort of heard Mark describe the story who are then saying, well, you know, he, he learned his lesson and moved on. Like, why are you, you know, <laughs> like the best, the best one was, um, you know, somebody who said, you know, what, what, what if somebody decided to make a podcast about the worst things you ever did? Um, <laughs> you know, my, and my response was, well, I mean, if they felt inclined to do that, I'd, I'd want to listen and figure out who have I hurt and how can I make yeah. things right? Yeah. Um, so, 
but but overwhelmingly I, the response has been positive and i would say the response has been um from across the board christian leaders and christian church members and a number of pastors um people saying like i i identify with the story i experience this or um man we need to examine this we need to ask these questions thank you for doing this yeah so. yeah and mike as we kind of close this up uh you know, I, my guess is you guys are doing this also because you want us to learn and you want the church to be better. So Aubrey and I are both pastors. What do you hope one or two takeaways are when this thing, whole thing's all said and done? What are one or two takeaways for pastors, for church leaders, just for church attenders after they listen to this podcast? I think, um, you know, I think one of the big questions um, in my mind is what are we looking for? when we go to church. Mm. Um, mm. And I think it's an unexamined question for most Christians. What, what we have in our culture is a, an attitude and a posture towards the church that um, that's generally drawn towards the personality of the preacher. Yeah. Um, some people will, will attach, you know, along with that, like, well, I, I want biblical exposition or I want, you know, I want this kind of programming for my kids or whatever. Mm. Um but I think we've become really, really attached to uh, sort of a, a personality-driven thing in the sense that, like, you know, I, I keep comparing it to, you know, for Samuel First Kings. Like, we we want a mediator. You know, we want somebody to tell us who God is and, and how we're supposed to live and, and all of that. And um, unfortunately, I think, you know, we've, we've carried that to a, a degree in, in a world of broadcasting and celebrity and, and all of this. Um, that's, you know, that's very distracting from the truth. And the most heartbreaking piece of the Mars Hill story is people who came to faith there, saw Mark as a spiritual dad. And then when the church fell apart and he left, they lost their faith in the process. Mm. So we have, we have to, um, if there's anything I hope we can understand and, and repent of, it's that dynamic. Um, so that's awesome. Mike Cosper, again, we didn't uh, Aubrey briefly mention a book Mike wrote a couple years ago, but we'd like to point you to that. It's called Recapturing the Wonder, Transcendent Faith in a Disenchanted World. You can also learn more about Mike at MikeDCosper.com and connect with him on Twitter at Mike Cosper, C-O-S-P-E-R. That's at Mike Cosper. And again, check out, we cannot encourage you enough to check out the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. You can find that wherever it is you get your podcast. Mike, uh, Mike, we know you've got so much going on these days. Thanks so much for taking time and spending time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Something we've been doing since you and I have been doing this show together is just to do some fun random games. Yeah. Laugh a little bit, you know? Not everything needs to be serious. And so uh, we've done, we do stuff like our weekly top five list. Uh, We've do uh, other things, jerk or justify, these Mm -hmm. types of stuff. I, I was just kind of 
going about my day yesterday, I thought of another one. This okay. is what I would like to do. Have you ever played the game Would You Rather? Oh, yes. I mean, I have three sons, so we play a lot of Would You Rather that gets a little nasty at my house. Let's be honest. All right, so we're going to try to not do a nasty Thank version you. Appreciate that. of Would You Rather. We're going to do just a random version. I'm going to give you as many questions as I can come up with. <gasps> oh, okay. Uh, we're really going to learn about you. You could turn some of them on me, but this is really me okay. peppering you. Okay. Uh, some of them are going to be easy. Like, let me start with a really easy one, Aubrey. Would you rather uh, spend a week at the beach or a week in the mountains? Ooh, beach. No doubt. Beach. Okay. See, you and I are agreed there. Okay. We're, you'd we are you'd go beach too. Okay. A hundred percent of the time. Okay. I am such a beach person a hundred percent of the time. All right, Aubrey, here's a difficult one for you. Uh-oh. Uh, w- would you rather go a year with no more coffee Oh. Or a year with no more candy. No more candy. No brainer. No more candy. Was oh, that an easy? Is there anything that would top coffee on that list for you in the food and drink variety? I mean, like water would be like the next thing. <laughs> You're getting <laughs> I, that in coffee. I, I'd have to choose water. So yeah. okay. I'd what about you? Water. You, I know you because you don't drink coffee. Iced tea coffee. or wait, iced tea, Brian, or candy? A year without iced Uh-oh. tea or a year without oh. candy for you? Oh. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I knew this would candy. be hard. You I would, would give up candy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As I have an iced tea in front of me right now as we speak. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, would you rather have a personal maid or a personal chef? Oh, this is hard. <laughs> Ooh. Can I have a third option? You know what I really <laughs> well, want? I really want a personal gardener. I don't like yard work, but I love beautiful lawns and gardens. But okay. you didn't give me that choice. So I'll go ah, I'll go chef because I'm not a great cook, but I know how to clean my house. I'm going chef. Personal chef. Go, what would you I do? Think I'd go, I think I'd go chef as well. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Uh, because think about all the good food you'd get right. and be able to right. eat. Okay. Right. All right. This one might be a, a more random one here. Okay. Would you rather uh, – okay, so let me – this is more like a scenario, but okay, it's a okay. would you rather. Okay. Uh, someone's going to give you – you have to spend a year in prison. Okay. Let's say medium security prison. Okay. You're going to spend a year in medium security prison, and when you get out, you're going to be handed a check for $10 million. Oh. Or you don't go to prison, but you don't get the money. Would you rather go to prison oh, for a year and oh. get $10 million or would you rather not go to prison, but you're ah. not given the money? Oh, man. This is really hard because I think I would go for the $10 million after a year. <laughs> but like, I feel like that sounds a little bit naive to say because I have no idea what prison is like, but I'm just I'm just going for it. If all things being equal, I'm going for that 10 mil. What about you? I want to know your I answer think- to that. I think I would too. <laughs> I mean, $10 million. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Like you said, neither you or I have spent a day in prison. <laughs> so, right. We're maybe like, like a little privileged saying that. <laughs> if you told me maximum security prison, I don't I think I would, would no. not do that. But, you know, medium You said security. medium. That made me think like club fed. I would probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's minimum security. All right. A- a gross one here. Oh, no. uh, would okay. you rather find a rat in your kitchen ah! or, a ro- or a spider in your bed? 
Oh, spider in the bed all day long. I can handle a spider. I cannot handle a rat in my kitchen. That would make me go crazy. <laughs> okay. That I mean, I we one time had mice in our basement and I I couldn't even go down to the basement for like months after. So yeah, no, <laughs> definitely a spider That's in the bed. Awesome. Okay, awesome. I have one for you though. Let me I'm ask ready. you one. Okay. Would you rather um <laughs> for the rest of your life would you rather be forced to sing along to every song you hear that comes on the radio or dance along to every song you hear that comes on the radio uh that's an easy one for me because if my children were here and talking to you they would tell you that i already sing along to every so- <laughs> song that comes on the radio oh, that's and awesome. it annoys the, the life out of them oh, that's funny absolutely uh okay let me ask you this one. This okay. is somewhat of a uh, – this one is is right in your wheelhouse. I wrote this one just for you. All <gasps> oh, right, I'm here so you excited. Go. It's going to be a hard one for you. Okay. Uh, would you rather never be able to preach again <gasps> or never be able to write again? Oh, no. <gasps> oh, Brian, this is too hard. I want to hear your answer first. Oh, you don't write. You I don't, don't write. write. <laughs> Okay, never be able. Ah, I think preach. I'm going to say I want to be able to write for the rest of my life. I I, when I when I wrote that Ah. one, I I didn't know which way you would go. I feel very torn though. Even saying that, I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's actually right. I don't know if that, but I, I, yeah, I probably would always want to express myself somehow creatively i'm gonna go writing but i don't know if i feel right about that Ah! okay what about you okay how about preaching or radio uh is am i allowed to say on the on on my radio show that i would choose not to do the radio show radio radio exactly i love the radio but i would probably choose i'd rather preach i think yes yes, yes. complicated i feel like i can sort of preach through writing so but i ah brian that was too hard that was that was okay i'll make a little easier one here Okay. okay uh would you rather buy all used underwear or all used toothbrushes <laughs> I I guess underwear because you can wash them, right? Like toothbrushes. But you'll you... always know they were used. Uh, but toothbrushes, you have to use them, and they bit in someone's mouth. I'm uh, I'm yes. I'm I'm going underwear because I can I can wash them, I can bleach them. I'm going underwear. Okay. I mean, okay. I would I wouldn't do either, but if I had to, I think that's what I'm going for. What would you do? Think, would you go toothbrushes? No, not at yeah. all. Not yeah. at all. Tooth, that would be gross. Okay, yeah. we'll end with a completely. Uh, uh, okay, let's try this one. This one is. Uh, this one will get at kind of how you view yourself. Here we go. Ooh, okay. W- would you rather uh, be considered beautiful and stupid, or be considered unattractive but a genius? <gasps> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna leave this- you with this one. This- hard because i feel like you know the right answer is to say a genius <laughs> you know what i mean like that's what i should say the church but, answer is jesus yes right but no one wants to be unattractive oh brian these are terrible oh, you, i feel like you have to answer this one this is too much pressure 
I'm a guy. I'm fine being unattractive and a genius. <laughs> so wait, you're, so you're considered dumb though? Like everyone around you thinks you're dumb? Yes. yes. I need. I I have to go unattractive, but genius. A genius. Okay. Yeah. We'll make yeah. a really easy one here. Would you rather be a movie actor or a rock star? Oh, probably a rock star. I think I'd rather be a movie actor, like a Would famous you? movie actor. I think so. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. That's fun. We're going to bring that one back again sometime. Uh, mostly because it made you really, we learned a lot about you, I think. Oh, I feel, I still feel torn about my preaching writing answer. <laughs> yeah. I think you're torn about that one. And if I'm honest, I don't believe you about the beautiful genius. I mean, you're kind of right, Brian. You. You're kind of right. I, I, ga- <laughs> I, gave, I gave the quote unquote right answer there. <laughs> I, th- I think that is true. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to ask this question. What's it like living the almost certain knowledge about your future? What would that be like? We're going to discuss that with an interesting story next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're asking, would you want to know the good and bad in your future? And we're also joined by the founder of Rahab's Daughters to talk about how we can help in the fight against human trafficking. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good on Hump Day, as Brian likes to say. Hump Day, Hump Day. Yep. My name is Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host Brian Fromm, and we are so glad to have you with us. Okay, Brian, this is a fascinating story that I am uh, excited for us to talk about. There's a woman named Catherine Moser, and in 2005, so you do the math. That's what 16 years ago. Yep. Good. Did math. I do that good right? Math. Yay! You did. You got Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, she decided to undergo genetic testing because um, there's a disease that runs in her family called Huntington's disease, which is really debilitating and also can be fatal. And so she decided to learn in her 20s um, whether or not she ha- was at risk of getting it, found out she Amazing. was. And now she just is about to um, turn 40 or she may have just turned 40. And so the reporter who first did the story in the New York Times went back uh, to connect with her to see how she's processing that almost 20 years later. It's a fascinating story. We actually have some audio of that first interview that I wanted us to hear. And then you and I are going to talk about what we think about this. So let's go ahead and listen. My grandfather had Huntington's disease. He lived in Cardinal Cook from 1992 to 2002. I remember him before, um, before he moved into Cardinal Cook. And I remember coming back to visit. And I actually hated coming here. The test came back positive which meant that she had inherited the defective gene that had killed her grandfather. The news forced upon Ms. Moser a new way of looking at her life. I think I've tried to make myself even more aware of what it is and what I can do to help. Okay, so that's Catherine um, at the early stages, right? She's Mm -hmm. just found out uh, that she has this disease, or at least has the potential, the markers for this disease, and um, talking about how knowing that she has the gene has now made her more aware about the disease, and she wants to learn how she can help. Now, interestingly, uh, the New York Times followed up with her, like I said, on her 40th birthday, and she's really talked about how living with this 
knowledge has changed a lot for her. And interestingly, one of the things she says is she likes to kind of counsel other people who are walking through this decision. Should I or shouldn't I um, do the genetic testing? And what she says is, I don't advise them not to get tested, but I do advise them to, you know, really think about it. Because mm-hmm. once you find out, you can't not find out. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it's been a, a very difficult thing for her to actually live with this information. So, I, I, Brian, what would you do in this scenario? It's, this is such a... When you sent me this article, I've really gone back and forth on this one. Like, this is really hard because mm-hmm. on the one hand, to know that this is coming, I think would cause you to live with a sense of urgency of yeah. like, I want to accomplish the, you know, it, it talks about the stuff she has done. She's done a lot, right? Living in the like, moment. Right. The, exactly. I think a lot of us, we just assume that we're going to make it to 80, 85, 90 yeah. years old. Yeah. And so I have all this time and then all of a sudden, oh, no, I don't, you know, yeah. and then you have regret. <clears throat> so there's that aspect of it. Like on that sense, I think that I would want to know because it would it would light a fire in me to just yeah. live every day like yeah. really hard and, and just keep going. On the other hand, uh, that could be a really tiring way to live. And I think also that that knowing would place this black cloud above you of going like, yeah. when is this going to kick in? When is the other shoe going to drop? Because it's not like she knows on March 15th of your exactly. 45th year. Yeah. It could come any time that most doctors have told her that it's going to be right around when you're 50. Like that's kind of the marker and that's yeah. kind of common. And so uh, there's that ticking clock that on the one hand would make you live with urgency. But on the other hand, I would think is terrifying uh, uh, yeah. of just knowing that this is coming. And so as I've weighed those two, I, I'm really struggling. I think... It's like you've given me the hard would you rather question. Yeah, last, that's a, uh, this is a hour. real life would you rather one. Yep. I think, but I but I'm not gonna just say that this is definitive, but I think when I weigh them, I'd want to know. Interesting. But I'm okay. Not sure about that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> How yeah. about you? You're like at a seventy percent you'd want exactly. to know, maybe. Exactly, exactly. Uh, How about you? I, I think uh, this is it is hard because it I was thinking about this even with my kids. I would want to know my kids' genetic testing. And if Mm. they are going to get sick in the future, I would want to right now do whatever I could to help keep them healthy. But for my own self, I don't think I would want to know, which is a little unfair. But I I think my fear would be every headache like I have today, Uh, every ache and pain, every whatever, every moment when you kind of forgot something like where your keys are, I would be like, this is it. This is it. This is the onset of this disease. And I I think that's just my personality that I would not be able to live in the moment because I would be so concerned about the shoe dropping, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I can understand a decision to go ahead and get the genetic testing because in one sense, it may give you a sense of control. Like, okay, now I know. I'm prepared for it. I'm going to process it. I'm going to feel sad, but I'm going to move forward. I mean, I know there's a lot of women who get tested for like the BRCA genes to see if they might have breast cancer in the future. Mm. And so that gives you a sense of control. And then you're able to do what you can with that knowledge. But in general, I don't think it would be a good way of life for me. Like it would not feel life giving. It would feel way too scary, but it's certainly complicated, right? Yeah, especially this one, because this feels a little bit. 
like a special circumstance in the sense of this is genetic in her family. Yeah. Uh, this, I, I guess I would want to know, what do you think, med- you know, medical research is only moving forward at a lightning speed right, right? now. And there could right. very well come a day where you could get all sorts of tests that says, hey, Aubrey, uh, when you're later yeah. in your life, you're likely to get X or right. Y. Right. I don't think I'd want to know that. Like, I think in this specific thing where mm-hmm. it's already hanging over your head a little bit, I might mm-hmm. want to know. But I don't think I'd want to know, like, if there's a, I'm making this up, but if there's testing that comes down the pike later, that's like, hey, you're likely to get cancer in your, you know, in your 60s. I'd be like, yeah. I don't want to know that. You right, know what I mean? Right, like, right. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm speaking out of two sides of my mouth. Maybe they're the same thing, but something about hers feels different. I can um, see what you're saying. Like, this is a special thing that runs in her family. It's not sort of a, a larger, like a cancer, right? Like this is very specific to her family line. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I, I would think too, this kind of information would be helpful. Let's say if you want to have a baby, like you might want to think through, can I, can't I, should I, shouldn't I like those kinds of things would be helpful. Interesting in the story. Um, Catherine talks about how she sought to use her genetic knowledge to have a biological child without passing on the gene. And she underwent two rounds of in vitro fertilization to create embryos um, without the gene. And unfortunately, uh, all of the viable embryos when screened turned out to have the disease causing gene. And so she actually set aside her hopes of becoming a parent. So that's a little sad, right? Like that you would choose not to have this uh, realize this dream because of this information. And so you kind of have to wonder, like, would she if would she have gone ahead and had kids if she didn't know that, you know, that's a little bit sad. There's certainly some loss yeah. in it. Right. Yeah. And I think the main point for me out of this is like, I'm not sure we're meant to know the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there I think it really complicates things like we can still trust God to be sovereign, God to be good. And uh, but it'd be really hard to turn it down. You know, it'd be really yeah, hard. To be like, nope, yeah. I don't want to know because she, if she turned it down, she's still probably going to live with this going. Is it coming? Is it coming? Like, I, mean, I, that's I would true. think it's hard. But, yep, but I think generally speaking, especially as as science moves forward, I'm not sure it's healthy for us to know our futures very much. And, um, you know, and some level, there's a faith in God's sovereignty to say, OK, mm. like I'm, I'm going to put my trust in him. So, yeah, what a hard it's a weird story. That's a yeah, hard story. Hard story. Well, we'd love to hear what you think. You can let us know on social media. Would you get the genetic testing or maybe the better question is, would you want to know your future, the good and the bad or not? Coming up, we're joined by the founder of Rahab's daughter. She's a survivor of human trafficking and she is fighting to put an end to human trafficking. She's going to talk to us about what we can do to stop human trafficking altogether. So stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are thrilled this Wednesday afternoon to be joined by Sam Wajay Kumar, who is the founder of Rahab's Daughters an organization that seeks to empower survivors of human trafficking through rescue, refuge, and rehabilitation. We are excited to hear her story and hear more about the ministry. Sam, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Can you tell our listeners before we jump in here just a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're living, a little bit about your family, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So um, I live in Barrington Hills, Illinois. We've lived here 
for about eight, nine years now. Um, I have a daughter uh, who's 22 and I'm married and, and we have five dogs who work in the ministry with me. Oh, that's, awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And Sam, briefly, I'd love to know just kind of your story and how your story kind of led to the founding of this ministry. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I grew up um, in a family that is quite unlike what people think human trafficking will happen in. My dad was a CFO of a multinational. My mom worked in the legal profession, but um, we moved around quite a bit and I was pretty ostracized because I really much preferred a good book to, you know, socializing with people. So, <laughs> fairly socially awkward. And as such, I was bullied quite a lot. And mm. um, it made me a prime target for um, the grooming process that happened. So I was 16 when um, I started being groomed. Um, and I had just been bullied so much that I, I was over it and I ran away from home and I became one of those statistics. Um, they actually say that one third of female runaways will be trafficked within 48 hours of leaving home. And I was one of them. It didn't even take 48. I was done in 24. Wow. And literally what I thought was a nightclub turned out it was a brothel and uh-huh. didn't see the light of day for quite some months. Um, wow. wow, Sam. Yeah, it was Definitely life-changing and pivoting for me. The thing was that even though one of my customers rescued me the first time, I couldn't figure out how to stay away, right? Because I obviously was in high school, didn't finish because I was trafficked. Um, And so it took me really in and out four times before I finally was able to break free and thank God for my church who literally hid me. Um, I was wow. an inch of my life and, and they had to hide me. I couldn't have anything, my name for a long time. And, and just, you know, um, it was very traumatic for anybody in the life because you feel so worthless. Right. Mm. And, um, God gave me a vision to use, you know, my story for good. And I literally ran from it off like 10 years in the wow. absolute <laughs> As we do, right? <laughs> and God's like, do this. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't think about that season of my life. But you know how he just keeps bringing it back, right? And so finally, I had volunteered for lots of organizations. I work in software for my day job. And, and he kept showing me the nexus of technology and trafficking and just how much of it happens online. And I had started working behind the scenes to sort of, you know, um, work with other organizations to look at how it happens. And and then I realized that, you know, we needed more survivor leadership within this because really only two people know what happens in trafficking, the traffickers and those who've been trafficked, right? Mm. There's, unfortunately, it's a very ugly space. And, you know, to this day, I still often don't explain all the atrocities that occurred because it's hard for people to process, right? Wow, and then, wow. And so um, Rahab's daughter sort of came about as that place where we just, we moved back to Illinois after being away in Europe for a while. And when I came back, there were so little services for those trying to get out that I just felt like God's prompting was, Mm. you know, back and and there. And so we set up Rahab's Daughters in 
2014, you know, our first safe house was my house. (laughs) Wow. It was all very grassroots. And in 2015, we became a 501c3 and, and, you know, we have just been trying to follow the path um, since then for, you know, what God wants. And we sort of changed and grown and uh, over the years, but what we've sort of kept at the heart of what we do is, is one, trying to follow God's plan for our ministry, but two, to try to figure out how to use technology for good in, you know, both our identification of potential victims processes, as well as, um, you know, helping rehabilitation so we can do more of it remotely and, and still provide a lot of wraparound services. Because even if we rescue them here, um, you know, we can't always keep them here for their own safety. And, hmm. you know, we are, I think, now ranked 11th for worst places for human trafficking, which is an improvement. We were in the top three there for a while. Wow. Um, but, you know, within 60 miles of O'Hare Airport, we will have about 16 to 20,000 victims sometime. Wow. wow. Uh, is, is estimated by different organizations. The problem is that you can't be certain because of the fact that not everybody reports what's happening to them. Not everybody mm. recognizes that they're being trafficked. And so it's very hard to get accurate numbers. Yeah. But we know that um, from reports to the hotline and, and that kind of thing, we're definitely up there. So we've been working to sort of prevent that locally, nationally, and, and now internationally. So that's kind of how we've come about. Wow, that's amazing, Sam. So incredible to hear your story and all that God is doing through you. I know on your uh, the website for Rahab's Daughters, you share Ariana and Victoria's survivor stories. Can you tell us how people have been impacted by the ministry of Rahab's Daughters and by those stories? Yeah, so survivors are helped by either provide, linking them to services, you know, so oftentimes we can't provide all the housing or care that they need because maybe they need assistance with addiction or assistance with severe mental health or whatever. But we try to link them to those services, to safe houses. And then we help to create what we call dream plans with them um, to help them figure out their next steps in 90 day sort of chunks. We also um, believe that the way to stop human trafficking is through education to everyone. So they understand what it looks like and how to identify it. So we spend a lot of time um, in the community, just helping people to understand what trafficking looks like, because it doesn't look the way you think it does. Today, trafficking isn't just sex trafficking. We also have labor traffickings, and that can happen in restaurants, in nail salons, in beauty parlors, and massage places, in hotels, in the hospitality industry. I mean, it's in construction, agriculture, it's everywhere, right? And people don't necessarily know all the faces. So one of the things that we try to do is help people see the different faces of trafficking so they can recognize it in their communities and raise it to either the human trafficking hotline or ourselves so that we can do something about it. Sam, thanks so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable. It's so powerful to hear from you. 
Listeners, if you're interested in getting involved in the fight against human trafficking or volunteering or even donating to Rahab's Daughters, you can visit Rahab'sDaughters.org to learn more about their ministry. They're also hosting an annual gala coming up Saturday, October 2nd at the Chicago Marriott. You can find out all of the details about that event, how you can get tickets at Rahab'sDaughters.org. Again, Sam, it's been so great to have you today. Thank you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. It is Aubrey Sampson here, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. All right, Brian, I'm sure you remember this. Back in 2019, 2020, there were a lot of church prophets, maybe more coming out of the Pentecostal churches, that felt like God had told them specifically that Trump was going to win the election. Mm -hmm. And they were making that very loud, very clear. And then when Trump didn't win the election, they began to say, well, certainly, you know, God can't be wrong, right? Or Mm -hmm. we can't be wrong. And so that means something happened. The election was, you know, evil and um, uh, it was rigged or, or something like that. And then, Unfortunately, I think that caused a lot of people to de- believe that this actually wasn't a legitimate election and it became quite a mess, honestly. Um, interestingly, at Christianity Today, about a month ago, one of those prophets, a guy by the name of Jeremiah Johnson, essentially apologized um, because here's what he says. I'll just read it to you. He says that... Um, as the uh, no, morning of November 4th, as the country woke up to the news that Joe Biden was in the lead, Johnson, this is the prophet, sent out a prophetic warning to his mailing list saying he and a chorus of mature and tested prophets were in agreement. Trump had won. Here's what he went on to say in that email. Either a lying spirit has filled the mouths of numerous trusted prophetic voices in America or Donald J. Trump has really won the presidency and we are witnessing a diabolical and evil plan unfold to steal the election. I believe with all my heart that the latter is true. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is what the article says. Today, Johnson cringes when mm-hmm. he thinks back to that message. And the story goes on to talk about how Jeremiah Johnson uh, Johnson essentially says he was just entrenched in politics he was entrenched in the fact that uh, some of the messages he was preaching about uh, Trump garnered him a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. That got really mm-hmm. toxic. And uh, it, it was a temptation. It was what sold. And so he kept preaching those prophecies. Uh, this is a really, I don't know, this is an interesting messy. story yeah. to me. Messy, messy, messy. What do you think about this, Brian, first off? Y- yeah, I think it's interesting. It also uh, says that he believes God told him after this, you were wrong and I'm going to use this to humble you. And he has since shut down his ministry. Uh, so I think there's there's a couple different things here. I'm not a cessationist. I still believe God works yep. miraculously. God still speaks through and in, yep. uh, to people and through people. Uh, but I do know also that around the time of the election and leading up to the election, there was a you know, there were a lot of people speaking for God where you're kind of like, that doesn't feel yeah, right. Like that feels yeah. 
And I think it, it was just yet another highlighting of kind of the meshing of the church and politics that the mm-hmm. highest order was who's going to win this presidential election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like you said, also on places on social media and in the media itself, when these people spoke, they got a lot of attention yeah. and a lot of clicks and a lot of likes and a lot of money. Yeah. And so I think Jeremiah Johnson is kind of using this to call into question uh, the whole prophetic movement, not just yeah. prophecy happen, but, but how are we discerning? But not only that, uh, what are we using it for? Like, what's the purpose? And again, a lot mm, of these prophets, uh, you hear them a lot now, right? Like they made this prophecy over the presidential election. It went the other way and then they start explaining it away. And you're like, well, which is it here? Right. And so, right. Uh, I, I do think primarily this is a story uh, about the meshing of politics and the church. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's so astute, Brian. Go ahead. But also just the raising of an eyebrow of what's going on in some in a lot of these, quote unquote, prophetic ministries and what's really going on here. I, it's a fascinating article. Like you said, it's pretty messy and just yeah. uh, a lot to wrestle with in it. Yeah. I, you know, I, cause I'm with you. I'm also not a sense, a cessationist. I believe that the Holy spirit works now. Mirac- miraculous gifts happen now and that God does speak to people period. I do believe that. Um, and, but I think what we all have to remember is prophets are not God, <laughs> you know? And so uh, every word from every prophet has to be tested. And I think it just even some of us going, Ooh, that doesn't feel right. That's a discerning spirit that says, Ooh, maybe that isn't right. And I appreciate, I, I don't know Jeremiah Johnson at all. I've never actually heard of him until this article, but I appreciate that he did apologize and owned mm-hmm. like his sin. And I appreciate that he took down his ministry page like that to me speaks of some integrity that he realized where he he got off track and is trying to hear from God again but i agree with you brian that it it speaks it it speaks of the prophetic movement and when these you know so-called prophets are too enmeshed in american politics like something has gone wrong and yeah. they've forgotten, I think, their calling and their gifting is meant to be about the Lord, not about nationalism or, or certain political voices or whatever. And so I, I I, appreciate that he says in his own life, God was going to use this to humble him. Uh, to me, that actually, yeah, I, I'm like, okay, I can, I can get behind that. I can see um, that there's some integrity there. He's not a, he's yeah. not a fool. Like he wants to honor the Lord. And so... Uh, but it, it it's messy. It's complicated. I, I love the idea of prophecy. I love the idea of thinking that God, you know, reveals certain things to people and we can learn from that. But I think at the end of the day, we have to just trust the Lord and um, not get too swept up in the way it, it in too, too swept up in words of men. Um, this also, I started listening to the Gangster Capitalist podcast oh, yesterday, Brian. Yeah. Yes. And have you, I don't know if you've listened to it or not. Have you? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Okay. So I won't say too much about it, but I will just say that, you know, of course it talks about Jerry Falwell um, Jr. and mm-hmm. his his enmeshment with Trump. And there's a moment that they talk about on the show, and it's all allegations, of course, but that after... Trump met with 
many evangelical leaders, and some of these were some of these prophetic people, they laid hands on him, they prayed over him, they said he was God's man, that apparently, the story goes, that Trump left and said, what a joke. Can you believe mm. these guys believe all this? Beep, beep, I'm not going to say the word. But I, to me, that was such a warning sign. Like, we just, as Christians, have to be so aware of when we're being twisted and bent by the world and mm. not hearing from the Holy Spirit. And, I, you know, just with the minute we have left, Brian, like, how do we do that? How do we uh, discern what's from God and what isn't? That's good. I did want to point out some of these prophets have said they're eager to explain what led to the mistaken election predictions and for God to use the high profile failures as an opportunity to revisit the guidelines for approaching prophecy and holding prophets accountable. I think don't just listen to everything you hear a quote unquote prophet say, because, uh, you know. This is going to sound tongue in cheek, but sometimes there's prophets out there who are just looking for a prophet, (laughs) right? Mm. You know what I mean? They're like looking to make some money. I think in our own lives, I think God does still speak and we don't want to say God never speaks. He does. But this is the power of discernment. This is the power of community to asking others to pray, asking others to weigh in and talk. Does this line up with what we know of God in scripture, right? Mm. Like, or is what my quote unquote word from God kind of running counter to scripture? Mm. God's not going to run counter to things he's already told us and already instructed us. And so I think as we start taking like that, and and I don't know that we have to be bombastic about it and going on Facebook and getting behind microphones. This is what the Lord has said to me. There seems to be an arrogance to that. So I I think it's just, we all need to be really careful. I think there's, there's ways to be really manipulative when we say God told me X. Mm. And, And I think we have to be really careful when we hear that from people, we have to be discerning, we have to be in community, and then we can celebrate that God does speak in and through his people. Yeah, that's good. Good word. Well, stick around. Next up, we're gonna talk to the Christian who hasn't been to church in a while. We have a word of encouragement for you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on Wednesday afternoon. We're actually Wednesday evening. We're sending you home as we like to do with an encouraging word. Brian, I'm going to just pass the mic over to you because you uh, shared an article with me called A Letter to the Christian Who Hasn't Been to Church in a While. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think it gets back to, especially coming out of COVID, but then you listen to podcasts like uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill that we talked about mm-hmm. with Mike Cosper earlier. And there's a lot of people who are, um, uh, they are looking at the church very skeptically. They're disillusioned by the church. The article here is written by somebody who literally came to faith at Mars Hill. Oh, and, wow. Uh, goes on to talk about some of the disillusionment that happened. Uh, and so... There's all sorts of reasons that people out there right now are saying, I love Jesus, but I'm not going to be part of his church, or I haven't mm. gone to back the church, or I don't like his church. It could be everything from, you know, simple things like, I don't know, I don't like church people, or she goes on to say here that, uh, the, you know, the pastor isn't available. I've too, I'm too busy. Mm. Uh, you know, it's awkward at times, or it could be other real serious stuff like, abuse that we see going on in the church or manipulation or whatever else. There's a whole spectrum as to why people don't go to back to church. Uh, but the author of this article is wanting to say, yeah, you know what? 
Uh, if you claim to know and love God, yet do not have a desire to be part of his church, she says, I lovingly implore you to evaluate your relationship with him. Get in his word and read what he has to say about his calling for us. There are 100 or more things that we could do that would hinder us from sharing life with God's people. Uh, and she goes on to challenge people. You need the church. All right. Wow. You, are, you need the church. Not all churches are healthy. And she is acknowledging that and saying, be part of a healthy church, but that it's not okay for us to go. I love Jesus, but I hate his bride. I love mm. Jesus and I don't want to be part of a church. And I think it's an important part way to end this morning show, or this afternoon's show because um, we hear that a lot from people, right? Yeah. Coming out of the pandemic right now is I've learned that I don't need to be part of a church, people mm-hmm. are saying. Uh, I, it's just me and Jesus. And, and and what the author here of this article and what I think I would say, and I believe you would agree with, is no, you can't you can't separate the two. Right. That that Jesus talks often about his church. And again, this doesn't mean that all churches are healthy. It right. doesn't mean you never move out. Yeah, maybe the answer coming out of the pandemic is not, I'm not going to go to church, but it's instead I'm going to go search out a healthy church where right. I can grow and be in community. Uh, but Aubrey, I think you'd agree this idea that I can love Jesus, but but uh, ignore or even hate his church just isn't a biblical concept. It's not a biblical concept. And I do feel like that's something I've I've heard people say for years. Um, and, and the reason that it's not biblical is exactly what you said, Brian, like God has the Christianity is a movement of people like it's we worship Jesus as a body of believers and God has sent his church on mission. And I mean, how many like uh, verses about one another are there in the mm-hmm. New Testament? Encourage one another, uh, break bread together, like, you know, just again and again and again, we're called to be people together uh, doing the Christian life together and when it becomes individualistic like that, we're dividing, um, we're dividing our worship from really its soul and and what God intended Christianity to be, which is again a body believers together. And so, I, I we have to be careful about that kind of dichotomy. Yes. And one of the things this article says is, the enemy is strategic. He has come to steal kill and destroy your faith, Mm. relationship with God and relationship with other believers. And so I, you know, I know like, especially those of us who have been in church for a long time, it is easy to be cynical. It is easy to get distracted. It's easy to get bitter about other Christians. But I think that's also why it's so important to be in community so that um, we learn what it is to love each other in a way that looks like Jesus and honors Jesus. And again, what does scripture say? That the world will know us by our love and that's our love for each other. Mm, And so we have to be in Christian community. Yeah. She goes on to say the church isn't primarily a building or a set of programs or events. I think that's a very important line. Yeah, that's good. It's a family, a mm. broken family. Yes, but a family all the more seeking God to love more, serve more and share light in a super, super dark world. I like double use of super, super, super dark world. Uh, talks about Jesus, be, you know, talk about the church, the apostles being, uh, you know, leading churches. And then the verse in Hebrews 10 that you already spoke of, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. It's this idea that we need one another. Yeah. And, and we live in a hyper individualistic culture that says, oh, just me and Jesus or rugged individualism. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, no, we actually need each other. And mm. ch- I, here, I'm a pastor. Let me acknowledge a few things. Churches can be really hard. Yeah. Churches can be really weird. Yeah. <laughs> they can be awkward. Yeah. Because they're made up of people. Right. But the the ultimate idea is that it's not about a program and maybe it's me being part of a community um t- both taking and giving and and moving towards Jesus with this kind of ragtag group of people and again if going into the pandemic you were part of a church that was just completely unhealthy didn't preach the bible was all this stuff then yes maybe it's time to go yeah. search out a healthy church the answer isn't well i guess what we're trying to say is the answer isn't stop going to church altogether yeah yeah but what, instead oh, go, ahead. go find a church uh, make it a passion and a, and a priority of yours to find a Bible believing, Bible teaching kind of family that you can invest in and be a part of. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, another word too is like you said, find a healthy church and stay there for a while. Yes. You know, because it is easy in our consumeristic culture to be like, oh, I don't like the music. Oh, that sermon didn't speak to me today. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Commit to staying there for a while. And by a while, I mean years. Mm-hmm. And um, because it's so easy, this article even says this, it's so easy to sit like behind the scenes criticizing. It's harder to actually live out an active faith, getting involved with people, making real changes, loving on real people, living life alongside real people and their real pain. That's the harder choice. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, that's the sanctifying choice that will change you, will actually end up changing the world in the end. So find a church, stick to it for a while and that's see right. what God can do. And I'm with you. I'm also a pastor. And I know church is weird. Church can be messy. Churches, pastors aren't perfect. We know this. Um, but there is something really beautiful about being in the family of believers growing in Christ together that we all need as Christians. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know what? It, part of the struggle right now uh, is just the um, the busyness of life. And I yeah. totally get that. Like, I feel that in my family now. Sunday morning isn't sacred anymore for people, for culturally speaking. And so there's a lot of stuff warring at it. I totally get it. I tell you how often I go to my son's baseball games on the weekends. All that stuff. Like, <laughs> right, this right. Is, this is not us pointing the figure. But the question is just, are we going to prioritize church coming out of this pandemic? And not even, even always just the Sunday morning service, but being part of a community in which I'm being spurred on, others are spurring me on so that we can know Jesus more deeply and, and make him known to the world. Like that's what it means to be the church. Messy, awkward, crazy, mm-hmm. fun at times. Yeah. But all of us need to be a part of. Yep. Such a good word, Brian. So go to church this weekend. That's what we're saying. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on this Wednesday. We have loved hanging out with you. Be sure to come back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.